Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. Today on the show, Chef Brooke Williamson. You may recognize her as a Top Chef alum and winner of season 14 in Charleston, or from appearances on Guy's Grocery Games and Esquire Network's Knife Fight, where she took home the win. She was also crowned the first winner of Food Network's Tournament of Champions. Brooke has opened numerous restaurants over the years, including Playa Provisions, which featured on Food Network's Bobby and Sophie on the coast. Playa Provisions is first and foremost a neighborhood restaurant. I'm gonna get some food out for you. Bring Be right back. the cuisine, we're ready. Understood, I hope you're hungry. All right, so we have the yellowfin tuna and tiger shrimp ceviche. It has a mango and yuzu marinade on it. Yum. A Los Angeles native, Brooke loves creating things that make people happy. And what better way to do that than food? She's here to talk about her journey as a chef, as well as her favorite places to go in Los Angeles and around California. And she'll also take the California questionnaire. Chef Brooke Williamson, welcome to California Now. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Sure. So there are so many things I'm excited to ask you about, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, you grew up in Los Angeles, right? Oh, the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, born and raised in Los Angeles, as strange as that may sound. Uh, well, how early um, did you know that you wanted to be a chef? By the age of six or seven, uh, I was really fascinated by food, um, strangely fascinated by food. I I would watch um, Julia Child and Jacques Pepin and Galloping Gourmet. Mm -hmm. um, PBS was my station unless I was watching the Smurfs or Gem and the Holograms, but pretty much, pretty much food shows were at the front and center of my Saturday and Sunday mornings at that age. Wow. That's so like other kids were watching kind of like Saturday morning cartoons and you were watching Julia Child make a souffle or something. Yeah. And then I would get up and, and make breakfast. My parents liked to sleep in on the weekends. So I was kind of responsible for feeding myself from, from a young age. Oh, that's amazing. And you got your official start at age 17, I believe. Yeah. But even before then, were, were there certain people or places that you think helped inspire your dream to become a chef? I mean, I grew up around creative people. My dad is a photographer, my mom a fine artist, and um, they worked from home. So I was kind of always around creativity. Um, my mom made dinner five nights a week. She took it upon herself to make a different dinner every single night. We sat wow. down at the dinner table at 6.30 as a family, no TV, no music. We, we talked. And I think, that, I think that growing up with that routine really instilled a sense of appreciation for what food can really do for people. So aside from the creative aspect of it and loving ingredients and growing up in Southern California where, you know, we had fruit trees and vegetable gardens, I think that a lot of what what really drew me into food as a profession was was how it makes people talk and gather and, and makes people happy. What is it about maybe, say, Los Angeles in particular that you think maybe helped instill a culinary passion in you? I mean, I think it's such a melting pot of culture and cuisine. You crave something in the city and you can find it in the best possible way. You know, it, there's there's so much to see and taste and, and learn about about people through their food. And I think that Los Angeles really offers the best of every world in that in that realm. So, you know, season 20 of Top Chef is airing right now. Um, how is being on that show a formative experience for you? I mean, being on that show really shaped a big part of my career. Um, I'm, I'm also so appreciative that I had a full career in the culinary industry before I ever stepped in front of a camera. 
Um, mm. So by the by the time I did, it was much later in my career, and I never saw myself on TV. I never saw myself in front of a camera. That's kind of the antithesis of what I wanted to do mm-hmm. um, growing up. You know, I, I grew up in LA. All of my friends wanted to be actors or in the in the movie or TV industry in some way, shape, or form. And I really wanted to do something that was so different than what all of my friends and their parents did. And I loved food and I thought that, you know, that was the perfect way to sort of hide in the back and mm-hmm. provide an experience for people. And, you know, I had I didn't really do TV until I was in my early 30s and I had been cooking professionally, you know, since 17 or 18. So I was very appreciative that I had that sort of foundation of of culinary experience before I took the risk of, of doing it in front of the world. Um, <laughs> and then when I did it, I, I found it to be a really fun, creative outlet, unlike anything else in my, in my life. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Cause like, you know, being a chef I, in some ways it is a performative function. I mean, you are kind of, you're presenting, you know, the final product, but you also, in many ways you're behind the scenes, right. Which is mm-hmm. so opposite of being on camera and like a character on screen. Yeah, and and honestly, Top Chef asked me for several years to to join the team and be on the show, and um, I said no several times. I just never saw myself in that world. And you also never know if you're going to be a good competitive chef until you do it. And you know, why do you want to put yourself through that in front of the <laughs> entire universe? <laughs> um, and then I finally just I decided that. It would be an incredible challenge and and a form of growth unlike anything I had ever done before. So I, I just sort of dove in and it turned out I was pretty good at it and kept going for many, many, many years. Yeah, and, the, yeah, and they keep bringing you back, you know, to make uh, guest appearances and judge the cooking. I mean, does it feel at this point like you're part of the family? Oh, totally. Yeah, in the best possible way. Um you know, Bravo and and Top Chef, they were my entrance into food TV land. And Mm -hmm. it was it was really difficult at first. Um, But once I got the hang of it, and also got out of the competitive aspect of Top Chef, uh, they they all have become like family to me, mentors, friends, um, people who I can call and, and ask, I mean, I, I would say that Gail and Tom, they're some of my like closer culinary friends in in the best way. That's really cool. I mean, how, how do you think Top Chef has evolved over the years from your perspective? I mean, I think the the talent pool has. Oh my god, that's so funny! I literally <laughs> the the executive producer of Top Chef is calling me right now. Oh, that's um, hilarious! There you go. <laughs> hey, you want to meet for lunch? Ear, kind of thing. Yeah. Ears are ears are ringing. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <That's okay. laughs> How do I think it's evolved? Um, you know, I think that the talent pool of of talent or the pool of talent to draw from has has really gotten so incredible and also competitive. Uh, you know, I think there there was a point in in culinary competition earlier on in the Top Chef days where I think that a, a lot of us looked at competitive reality TV as 
as this way of like dumbing down what we do, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it was like disrespectful to the culinarians, quote unquote. Right. Um, and I think that that people have now realized that it really takes a lot of focus and talent and commitment to do competitive cooking on you know especially in a in a world like top chef where the the culinary talent is so uh, advanced and impressive that i think that um it, it's given so many chefs a, a platform to showcase what they do on a much larger scale and um i think there's just there's a respect for it now that there wasn't always and yeah, sure, it's it's entertainment, it's reality TV, but it, it goes so much deeper than that. And I think that um, we've we've come to see how important that is to the the culinary sort of landscape of of our entire country. I mean, I can go anywhere in this country at this point and find a friend to call and go have an incredible dining experience um, because of the Top Chef family. Right, right. Now, now you've worked with a lot of big names in the restaurant world, too many to tick through in one conversation, but could you tell us one or two who mattered earlier in your career and, and why they were special? My first real culinary job, uh, my first real industry job was at a place called the Argyle Hotel. Um, mm-hmm. The restaurant was called Phoenix at the Argyle on Sunset Boulevard. And the chef was a Michelin starred chef, Ken Frank. And he, I, I walked in one day and had no experience. And I said, I will work for free. Put me wherever you want. Mm. He put me in pastry because he was in need of a pastry assistant at the time. And, you know, had I had no experience. And basically, I plated desserts for the first couple of months that I was there. And I think that he also... I was also there because I had applied to culinary school. And there were a certain number of real actual working hours that you had to have under your belt in order to attend. Uh, and so I was kind of just working there to, to get my hours to eventually go to culinary school. And Ken, Ken Frank sort of acknowledged how hard I worked and how passionate I was and how interested in learning I was and basically told me not to go to culinary school and, really? wow. and stay there. And I'm so grateful that I did. Um, but also there was his sous chef, a gentleman on his team by the name of Brian, who really made it his mission to teach me all the things that I wasn't going to learn from not going to culinary school, you know, how to break down a squab, how to fillet a fish, um, all, all the things that I should have learned in school that, that I didn't, you don't just learn that stuff on the job necessarily, unless you're doing it every day. Uh, so I think there were a lot of people along the way who, inspired me and taught me, um, most of, most of whom are not those big names. Mm. Um, most of whom were, you know, the, the prep guy who cleaned the fish, who spent the extra 20 minutes with me every day to show me how to hold my knife properly to, you know, how to ensure that I was doing things to the best of, of my ability. Right. I mean, and it sounds like you really got like almost on kind of like an, an old fashioned, medieval apprenticeship with these guys. (laughs) I mean, I mean, rather than going to a formal school, I mean, you actually learned, you know, from people who are doing it and who basically took you under their wing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm so, so grateful for that because also without the true foundation of, of understanding 
technique and implementing it, there's you don't you don't have anything. Yeah, I mean, so did did the chef eventually pay you? How long did it take? No, he paid me from the get go because of you know California <laughs> legality. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I actually advanced pretty quickly and became an assistant pastry cook, and then a pastry sous chef. And then I moved onto the hotline and worked Garmanger, which is like the sta- salad station, the pizza station, eventually worked my way up to the grill. And that was all within maybe a year, year and a half. And then I moved on to Michael's in Santa Monica um, and had a handful of really important mentors there as well. Mm-hmm. What about creativity wise? I mean, some of these dishes that you come up with on the shows are so creative. Like, was there anybody early on who kind of like inspired you and in that kind of creative space? So many people. And I, I kind of like to attribute that to how someone's brain works. You know, I, again, I grew up in a very creative environment, but I think that being able to, to see a dish in your head and, and create based on within the confinements of a situation like that, the timing, the stress, the cameras, I think it takes a very specific type of brain. And I, I like to let people know that there are a lot of incredibly talented chefs who I know who don't work well under those conditions. You know, it, it actually has very little to do the creative process of, of how that happens in, in that environment, in a competitive environment, actually has, I think, very little reflection on how talented or skilled you are as a chef in the kitchen. Um, of course, in order to execute that dish, you have to know what you're doing. Right. Um, but a lot of how a dish unfolds in that environment has to do with split second decisions and seeing through seeing through a uh, a journey that happens in your head first and committing to it. Right, right. That's so cool. Um, so one last thing before we switch gears here. Um, is Padma nice? <laughs> She's totally nice. <laughs> well, you know, her criticism is so pointed sometimes. It's hard to tell. No, she's great. She's wonderful. She... Um, She's a lot of fun. She's very quirky and very specific, um, but but I, I I love her to death. Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> All right, so let's flash forward a few years. Um, where did the idea for Playa Provisions come from? So my husband and I had two restaurants. This was, I don't know, nine or 10 years ago. And one was in Playa del Rey called The Triple. It was like a 30, 40 seat craft beer bar on Culver Boulevard. And one, uh, a gastropub in Redondo Beach called Hudson House. And we would drive between the two restaurants every day, at some point every day. The space that is now Playa Provisions is at the end of Culver. And we would drive by and we actually saw it turn over three or four concepts that that came in and, and left. And we have had such an affinity for the neighborhood of Playa del Rey. It's this sort of really wonderful old school beach town, mm-hmm. very laid back mm-hmm. the, that everyone in the neighborhood knows each other. Um, and it was a vibe that we really loved. And so we had no interest in in leaving that area. And to have this space, this giant restaurant space at the end of Culver Boulevard um, that kind of never found its place in the neighborhood was, was really sad to us. And um, it had been a restaurant for a couple of years. We knew it was owned by someone who was not 
really in the restaurant business, uh, who I think was in the software business and just kind of built out this restaurant. And we just one day we went down and had a drink on a Saturday night at nine o'clock and the place was kind of empty and, and we felt like it had so much potential that just wasn't, wasn't being acted upon. And so we made an offer and the owner accepted and we were like, Oh, okay. I guess we need to think of something to do here. (laughs) (laughs) And we thought of all of the things that a beach town should have that Playa del Rey didn't. And they all really worked with each other. You know, the, the ice cream shop, the seafood restaurant with like a booming sort of brunch business that turns into a, a slightly more formal sit down seafood restaurant at night a whiskey bar. There was nowhere to get a great cocktail in the area, like a craft cocktail. And then a cafe where you could just grab food and head down to the beach, like a casual, like breakfast, lunch, pastries, coffee, grab and go salad sandwiches, um, where you could just pick stuff up and go down to the beach. Right. And we thought, we thought to ourselves, all of these things work with each other. The space is gigantic. Why not break it up and do all of the things under one roof? So that's what we did. That's pretty amazing. So you took these four kind of these four great ideas that you thought would really work in that spot and you put them all under one roof. And I, I really love the way you kind of describe them, but let's kind of like do a little bit of a deep dive into each one. So sure. let's start with the King Beach Cafe. It sounds like that's a really great spot for breakfast or lunch. So what's what's something you're especially proud of there? I mean, that's the everyday like walk up to the counter and you know, order what you're in the mood for kind of thing. We have a a big pastry case that displays uh, sweet and savory pastries from, from seven 30 in the morning on. Um, I will say that I think our chocolate chip cookie rivals any chocolate chip cookie in Los Angeles. (laughs) Mm, Um, Hey, that's pretty, that's, that's saying a lot. Yeah. I mean, and we sell, (laughs) we also have a freezer case where you can come and like pick up scooped balls of cookie dough to bake yourself at home. So um, kind of the best of every world. Uh, So, you know, we have a great pastry program um, and also the sandwiches I, I feel like are constantly craveable to me who who sees them every day, I still crave our sandwiches. You know, we have a great tuna sandwich, like a tuna conserva sandwich. My my favorite, I think, from a nostalgic perspective is our corned beef sandwich. I grew up with, mm. my dad used to take me to delis all over Los Angeles when I was a kid. And always we would order, always order a giant uh, shaved corned beef sandwich with Russian dressing, coleslaw, and Swiss cheese on rye bread. And mm. my goal, and then we would split it in half and order an extra piece of bread and split it between the two of us. And so my goal was to sort of recreate that nostalgic sandwich um, and just have it be like an easy to eat everyday sandwich. You know, of course, we do fish tacos uh, mm-hmm. and we have a great coffee bar with all sorts of coffee drinks. You know, it's it's kind of a casual spot where you can go and you can sit and order a coffee and a pastry or a sandwich and sit on your computer all day and, and just enjoy people watching and, and be in a casual environment. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the fish tacos. Our director actually ordered the fish tacos there and absolutely loved them. What, what do you do with the fish tacos? I mean, they're a pretty straightforward um, sort of tempura, like, like a light tempura batter on its cod is the fish that we use and mm-hmm. co- corn tortillas and a, a bright sort of acidic slaw and a remoulade. It's kind of, they're straightforward tacos, but I mean, when done well, I don't know that there's a whole lot that's better. Yeah. I looked at the menu and, and saw the sandwiches and pastries and coffee, but I also noticed canned cocktails. Um, are those house-made? 
Those are house made. They are something that we started doing during the pandemic because suddenly we were able to sell cocktails to go. Um, mm. You know, it was a it's a different type of liquor license to be able to sell drinks to go, and that was something that suddenly we were able to do, and we wanted to take advantage of every every sort of avenue we could. And right. we bought a canning machine and started canning sort of our, our most popular cocktails. And they, they really took off. And now we have them in the, in the deli case. You can come in and you can grab a Del Rey, which is kind of one of, one of our most famous, most popular drinks. And um, yeah, it's, we've, we've kept it around. We only have generally one or two flavors of cocktails because we do try to keep them fresh. So let's say I had a late breakfast, early lunch there, and I've gone about my day. Now it's afternoon. I'm thinking about ice cream. So I come back and I head over to Small Batch, which is your ice cream place there under the same roof of Playa Provisions. What should I know going in? Yeah. So we have uh, we make all of our ice cream in-house, and we generally have eight to ten flavors of ice cream, a couple of vegan flavors, uh, and we have standard flavors. I always like to have a tea flavor. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of one of my favorites, either a Thai tea or an Earl Grey tea. I actually love, we do it like a malted, chocolate malted crunch, which is very reminiscent of a like thrifty junior ice cream that I grew up on. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, just like revolving flavors all the time. You're never going to come in and see all the same flavors, but you will see a couple of the same sort of standard go-to flavors that that we get requests for and and you can order them in a waffle cone and uh, we also do a, a whole bunch of frozen treats popsicles chocolate dip bananas really fun stuff you know we're across the street from the beach so it's the perfect opportunity for people to come in look into our freezer case pick out a, a frozen treat they're all made in house and um and i think our pastry chefs really love the switching things up and the creativity of we have some really skilled technicians in the pastry department who make things look way better than I could ever imagine (laughs) or to imagine doing myself. So (laughs) we we take advantage of that. And uh, the kids, you know, the kids get, get excited to pick out their own treats. And I I will say, I think we have some really great ice cream. Oh, it sounds, it also sounds like your, your place is almost like kind of an old fashioned, you know, like five and dime place where kids would go, you know, and like just, pick out what they wanted, and then, you know, move on to the rest of the day. Yeah, it keeps the kids entertained. I will say my my son, his elementary school, when he was in elementary school, they did a, a field trip to the Bayona wetlands, which are right behind, um, right behind the restaurant. And they finished their field trip by bringing all the kids to play. It was a perfect opportunity <laughs> for my son to show off, show off the, the ice cream to his friends at the age of 10. Oh, that's so cool. How often do you change up the flavors on the menu? I mean, daily. Uh, they, you know, our pastry chef runs ice cream a couple times a week and then pops the flavors into the freezer and we just rotate them. When one goes out, a different flavor comes in. Oh, that's great. All right. So now the sun's going down and it's time for a fancy dinner. So I'm headed to Dockside. Uh, what should I order? I mean, always start with the oysters. We ship our oysters in from all over the country directly, so they never see a middleman, and they're always fresh. And um, I will say, I think we have a really good three to four different type of oyster selection. We try to keep the oysters as fresh as possible, so we, you know, they're always changing daily. 
probably are, we have a couple of items that never come off the menu. The crab claw pops are one of them, which is basically a snow crab claw with a crab cake formed around the claw. So you get this Mm. surprise treat of an actual nugget of snow crab in the center and you eat it off of the claw. It's, it's, it's fun. It's yummy. It's interactive. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, we always have a ceviche on the menu. Lots of really good starters. We sell a ton of lobster rolls. You can order the lobster roll Connecticut style, which is warm with butter, or you can order um, main, like a main style lobster roll, which is the cold with mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. And we do pickled mustard seed and crushed potato chips on top of that as well. Oh my God. Perfect beach fair. Totally. And then, you know, <laughs> the menu, uh, it changes seasonally. So switch up your entrees and your sides according to what you're in the mood to, to order. Right. Nice. All right. So now it's time for a nightcap. <laughs> so for that, I'm going to Grain Whiskey Bar. Uh, what's the vibe and and what's the Jedi move in terms of ordering well? Yeah, it's it's kind of a speakeasy vibe. There's a red light down the hallway. You would never know that the room is even there unless you knew it was there. So oh, nice. Wednesday through Sunday, the, the whiskey bar is open and we open at six o'clock and it's very, it's dark. It's, it's small. It's um, lined with oak on the on the walls so you feel like you're almost on the inside in the inside of a a whiskey barrel we do have a revolving menu our our bar manager liam switches switches up the cocktail menu seasonally as well and he's got some really fun creative cocktails in like old vintage glassware you know just kind of going with the old speakeasy vibe but i always recommend especially if you aren't going in with like some preconceived ideas of what you want to order and what you're in the mood for. Right. I always recommend telling the bartenders to make something for you, you know, dealer's choice, and they're never (laughs) going to steer you wrong. You tell them what kind of flavors you, you veer towards or gravitate toward. And, you know, they will never, they will never steer you wrong. I mean, it's nice to have an expert behind the bar to kind of guide you if you don't know what you might like. Yeah. And we put a lot of emphasis on proper training with not only spirits, but reading customers and and how to provide the experience that that, that specific customer is looking for. So, you know, let us let us make drinks for you. <laughs> it all sounds so incredible. Um, now let's turn, though, to some other places people ought to check out while they're in Los Angeles, in addition to Playa Provisions. Um, I read online that you like to run and bike. Uh, where are some of your favorite places for that? Uh, I run on the bike path. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the best of both worlds. Um, I, I run on the bike path in Playa del Rey. I actually run, that's my, I will either run from my house in Westchester to work, or I run from work down to like El Segundo, um, Manhattan Beach area and back. I love a beach run. Uh, honestly, I, I don't feel like I take enough advantage of where I live. And sometimes I, I force myself to get out there and just be next to the ocean and clear my head. And to me, running 100% does that. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the bike path that goes between Venice and Manhattan Beach is, is some of the best visual running that you can do. Yeah. I mean, when you live in a place like that, you kind of can take it for granted. But for someone who's never been there, what is it? Can you describe what it's like? I mean, so the the, the bike path in front of Playa del Rey is, it's quiet. It's like beach town, but it it's also the stretch that connects the South Bay to Venice or the marina. 
you know, a lot of people ride their bikes on the on that bike path, but never see that specific area. And it's it's quiet. It's um, during the week in the morning. It's so peaceful. It can be foggy in the morning, and then the fog clears, and uh, it's just some of the most stunning stretch of beach that isn't overly crowded in Los Angeles. Uh, I saw a picture of you and your son Hudson. Um, so let's say it's a day off and you and Hudson are going somewhere fun. Um, where might you be headed? Hmm, a day off that we both have together. I mean, we do like to take a bike ride. Um, we often find ourselves taking a bike ride to um, Kazunori, which is one of his play- favorite places to go. Like Kazunori, the hand roll place. There's a new one in Marina del Rey, and it's the kind of the perfect bike ride from work to the marina that's not overly aggressive. Okay, wait a minute. But... I got to I got to I got to stop you there because so wait, how old is your how old is your son? He's 15. Oh, okay. Okay. I think Did I saw you see a, a picture from like 10 picture. years ago. Okay. Like, wow, that 6-year-old has a really sophisticated palate. No, at this point he's done some <laughs> cycling trips to through Italy with me. Okay. So <laughs> okay. Um, he knows he definitely knows his way around a bike ride. Oh, that's how that's hilarious. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do one more uh one more from LA, dealer's choice. What's a place not everyone knows to go, but is really worth checking out? Like you have somebody coming to visit and you're like, I got to take you to this place. I always love to go to like the sort of outskirts of the of the city, like San Gabriel Valley and go to the like Chinese seafood restaurants. There's also a lot of great stuff in my neighborhood. Uh, I think, honestly, some of the best Thai food in Los Angeles is at this place, Ayara Thai, which is in Westchester. And I, you know, it's like a four minute drive for me. Um, So I think Thai food, I'm covered. I think there are also some great restaurants downtown. Honestly, I think Bavel is, has been for years, one of my favorite restaurants my son loves it there. Like go get pita bread and hummus and, you know, a couple of starters there. I, I don't know. I feel like our, our days off often revolve around food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it. <laughs> um, but I, I honestly feel like we try to go to different restaurants every single time we go out just because we don't go out that often. Right. And there's new places opening up all the time that you want to probably time. check out. Yeah, exactly. All the time. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, listen, Now there's one more thing I'd like to do before we set you on your merry way, and it's called the California Questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And the idea is we go through this list sort of rapid fire style to get a better sense of what you love about the Golden State. And we've done this with, you know, Kevin Costner, Cheech Marin, Craig Kilborn, and so on. So are you up for it? I'm always up for a a quick fire. (laughs) Okay, great. All right, here we go. Okay, where do you live and why there? Westchester, Los Angeles. Um right by the airport. And honestly, it's a great little neighborhood that has exploded in the last few years that is close enough to work, close enough to the freeway that can get me anywhere in the city and um, affordable enough so that I can have a, a, a house and a backyard for my dogs. Great. Okay. What's your greatest California love? I will say a drive up the coast. Uh, I love a drive up the coast through Malibu, specifically maybe to to Neptune's Net, which is one of my all-time favorite uh, seafood shacks. It's just past Zuma Beach, and it's the kind of place where you can go in, pick out your own seafood, have it steamed right there in front of you, and just enjoy the bounty of what the coast has to offer directly on the coast. Wow, sounds perfect. (laughs) Yeah. All right, what's the biggest misperception about Californians? 
that we are all vegetarian and eat tofu for a living. <laughs> <laughs> for a living, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have no issues with tofu, um, but also tofu doesn't grow in California. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I love a vegetable, but I also love bacon on a vegetable. So there's that. Okay. What's the stereotype that most holds true? I mean, that we that we also eat healthy. <laughs> I mean, like, there are two ends of the spectrum. And I will say that my friends who live across the country don't eat as healthy and probably drink a lot more whole milk instead of, like, oat milk and almond milk. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite Golden State splurge? <sighs> Ooh. Um... I will say, I mean, I'm going to go back to Malibu because I do love that drive, but also my son loves a meal at Nobu and Hmm. Nobu Malibu for lunch, like on an afternoon for just like a couple of bites to eat and a beautiful view. Um, It's not something that we can do all the time, but it is something that we really enjoy. Right. Okay. Let's say it's, it's time for a road trip. Where are you going? Probably the desert. Uh, Joshua Tree, um, Palm mm-hmm. Desert, Palm Springs, Joshua Tree. I love. Uh, there's a hike that I love in Joshua Tree called Painted Ladders, and it's about half an hour past Palm Springs, and it's some of the most beautiful, like giant rock hiking that you can do in California. Nice. If you could decree an official state culinary experience, what would it be? I think that there's something really wonderful to be said about taking advantage of the fact that we are right on the Pacific Ocean and so much comes out of the ocean that that can be enjoyed immediately. Um, I love going down to the Redondo Beach Pier and picking out like fresh crab and oysters and clams and just having them steamed and eating them right there. Uh, my son and my husband also, uh, I'm not one for boats, but they love a deep water fishing trip. And then they come back with all the fish that they caught that day. And then we make fish tacos. Wow. Yeah. The natural bounty, right? Totally. <laughs> okay. Where would you go for the ultimate shopping spree? The uh, the Cabazon outlets that, that are about 20 minutes outside of Palm Springs, um, they're every sort of designer store that that you want to go to is there and i can spend all day at that at that outlet mall and find everything i need (laughs) perfect best california song joni mitchell um i think it's just called california Uh uh-huh and why that one i don't know it's a song from my childhood that like that's the first song that pops into my head that and i can like hear her voice and it's and it's a lovely song would you sing a bit of it? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I had to try. If it were on, I would sing along to it, but I'm not just going to break out in an acapella movement right now. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. And then how would your California dream day unfold? Like, what would you do to start? Where would you go after that? What would you, you know, how would you wrap it up? That kind of thing. Um, I would probably start my day working out just because I feel like that's the best way for me to wake up make my son crepes for breakfast because that's what he has requested every Sunday since he was five years old. He likes Nutella crepes. 
Mm. Um, and I love making them for him. I'm dreading the day that he no longer wants them. <laughs> um, and then maybe, you know, walk through the farmer's market, maybe a bike ride down, down the coast, uh, an early dinner, like a blue haired special 5 PM dinner. And then <laughs> in bed by nine o'clock watching, Ted Lasso or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to to having a, a good day. Um, pretty much, if there are no fires to put out, I'm I, I consider that a successful day. Right, and a lot of it centering around food. Yes, my whole <laughs> my whole life. I also love cooking. So uh, you know, as as much as it is my job, it is also my passion. So. There might be just dinner at home or like entertain for, you know, 12 or 15 people and have people come over and hang out and drink some wine and sit around the fireplace in the backyard and, you know, just be home. Well, Brooke, I have to tell you, you did a marvelous job on our version of a quick fire challenge, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I, I pride myself on being good at quick fires. <laughs> yeah, that's great, Brooke. This, everything that we've talked about today, this has just been really tremendous. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. It's been such a pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Chef Brooke Williamson is a culinary star, top chef winner, and co-owner of Playa Provisions in Playa del Rey, California. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope to see you in the Golden State soon. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to get your free 2023 California Visitor's Guide, showcasing the best of California. This beautiful guide features Jessica Alba on the cover and clocks in at nearly 200 pages. And it's full of amazing recommendations from all-access family getaways to an A to Z guide to California state parks. There's also a feature on 33 zero-cost activities around the state, from stargazing at Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles to a Central Coast elephant seal encounter. And speaking of free things, did I mention the whole guide is just that? All you have to do is sign up for yours at visitcalifornia.com slash travel guides. That's visitcalifornia.com slash travel guides.